this made me wonder who's who's the most famous Jamaican artist you can think of? Bob Marley. I was about to say Shaggy, but Bob Marley probably. <sighs> Welcome to The Fluent Show, a podcast all about loving and living and learning languages. Hello, everyone. Hello, Fluent fam. I'm here with my co-host, Lindsay from Lindsay Does Languages, and my name is Kirsten. I host host this show. I run fluentlanguage.co.uk, and I'm here today to tell you about something in the category of anything and everything interesting from the world of learning another language. That was a long, long intro. And now let's hear the co-host. Hey, Lindsay. Hello. <laughs> Hello. How's it going? Yeah, good. Thank you. Mm. Still busy on the Korean learning front? Yeah, indeed. Doing the add one challenge until I... uh, it, the timing is really good until I go to Korea. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Are, are you enjoying the add one challenge? Yeah, it's good. There's a lot to take in, <laughs> for sure, but it's good. We had a session with Team Korean on Saturday and learned something that then came up in my Talk to Me in Korean lesson this morning. So that was quite good timing. Oh, wow. What is a Talk yeah. to Me in Korean lesson? Oh, Talk to Me in Korean is like one of the best Korean resources. And they have loads of things that are free, um, including the grammar courses, which is what I'm working through. Fabulous. Excellent. Yeah. So you're learning Korean. I'm still in the Far East. I'm kind of still getting there with my Chinese. Did you know, when I was in Germany for the German retreat, I bought uh, I bought myself two little language guides. Kauderwelsch is like a little German company that makes them. And they had a, they had a little pop-up shop in Hamburg Airport. So I'm mm. there like in language wonderland, just, you know, looking through. And I looked everywhere to try and find Mandarin Chinese. And the Germans, as it turns out, don't refer to it as Mandarin as such. Although you can sort of in the book, it did later say Mandarin. But in this, it was called High Chinese. Oh, You know, like how we have High like German. Yeah, yeah, like Hochdeutsch. They call it Hochchinesisch. Very interesting. I know. I'd never, I'd never come across Hochchinesisch. And I had to really like read through the book quite far in to, to get to the bit where it goes, oh yeah, Hochchinesisch, sometimes known as Mandarin Chinesisch. And I'm like, yeah, Mandarin Chinesisch, how the rest of the world calls it, or at least the English speaking Ooh. world. So yeah. how weird, right? That is interesting. Mm. Yeah. So a little Kauderwelsch book. It's it's kind of, it's a really fun little phrase book. And I've been practicing, I've got a Chinese speaker in my co-working space. So every now and then I just walk up to him and ask him like, I don't know, do you have a map or some nonsense like that <laughs> to get a bit of feedback on my pronunciation? That's cool. Mm. So in Korean, I assume you don't have many Korean speakers possibly around you. Are you taking any online lessons? I am. Yes. yes. And if I was to ask you, where are you taking the online lessons? Oh. Maybe that could lead nicely to our sponsor. Oh, does it? I hope so. Uh, a talkie? Dun, dun, dun. Yes. Yay. <laughs> oh, that went well. That could have really backfired. That's a risk. We didn't plan this business. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you finding your italki lessons? Is italki delivering the quality that we've come to expect from it in, in Korean? 
Yeah, good. I've got um, a Korean teacher called Nari, who is wonderful. And I've recently booked um, like a batch of lessons with a fairly new teacher on the platform who is on there a bit cheaper because she's new. And I thought, that's cool. I want to be one of your first students and also get some lessons that are a little bit cheaper so I can have the quantity that I need at this stage just to help boost my confidence with speaking as well. So I've got two tutors. My first session with my new one is tomorrow. Oh, amazing. Fantastic. Well, listeners, if you heard that and it sounds good to you and you want to try out perhaps a new teacher, perhaps an experienced teacher, you can choose from 10,000 plus teachers this is a number, I found this on the Italki website, blows my mind, 10,000, it's like wow. a small town of <laughs> Italki teachers. You know, imagine if they all lived in a town, how crazy would that be? How, how fun that town would be? So with Italki, you can have that town. It's on the internet, it's called Italki. And it's a platform where you can find online teachers in so, so many languages, from Korean to Kazakh and from Italian to... Icelandic and from English to Estonian. I'll try to think of languages there. If I talk, you pay per lesson and you're going to find a tutor like Lindsay did that fits into your budget and your needs at this time. You can always take the classes that fit your requirements. And you might have noticed some teachers love working with the beginner. Some teachers are fairly early in their teaching career, whereas others are full of experience and they love an advanced learner and really to dig into that grammar and nitty gritty. And I like that kind of stuff as well as a teacher. So, of course, Italki is so great because you can use it anytime and anywhere. And you can work with the systems that suit you. So you could choose Skype, you could choose Google Hangouts, you could FaceTime them. To support our show, you can get yourself a link. A link that is called fluentlanguage.co.uk slash italki. And if you go to that website and you are a new user in italki, they also support our show by supporting you. So it's like a circle of support, of joy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> by giving you 10 free dollars. So your first italki class essentially is is free. A lot of the classes in italki come in at under $10, sometimes for a half hour, sometimes for even a full hour, depending on where your teacher lives and what their costs are and how they operate. So to support our show and get your first 10 US dollars in italki credits for free, when you join italki, go to fluentlanguage.co.uk slash italki. And if you look around a little bit on Italki, you might find me. You might find Lindsay. Ta-da! Ta-da! So from Italki, who are based in Shanghai, I want to take it to the other side of the world. And Lindsay, we have sad, sad news. Don't oh, we? Oh, 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 yes, the news. Okay, it's- I'm ready for this. <laughs> when I found this and I sent this to you, I was like... This is like a dream story for the podcast. We need to bring the new segment back just for one episode to talk about this. <laughs> That's right. So, listeners, we used to we used to do a little bit more um, language news, but generally got a lot of feedback from people saying, get to the point, which we will. We will get to the point. We will talk about languages. But first, let's talk about a very specific indigenous language and a very specific speaker of an indigenous language who is having a terrible, terrible time. This is an article on the BBC News website about my man, my boo, my favourite person in the world, Sean Paul. I love Sean Paul so so much. Side note, is it an indigenous language? Because is it something that evolved 
later. But we'll get to that. We'll get to what is an indigenous language later on. That's like, is a Creole a language? Yeah, it is, right? Oh, a Creole is a language, but is it indigenous? No, it's not indigenous. Ah, ooh, interesting. True Mm. true fact, true fact. Okay, so Sean Paul, speaker of non-indigenous, but sort of only spoken in Jamaica, (laughs) local language, local Patwa language, um, Jamaican Patwa. So Sean Paul, speaker of Jamaican Patwa, says a language barrier is one of the reasons dancehall artists like him fail to make it big in the UK and the US. I mean, he he has made it big. He's done collaborations with everyone. He believes it's it's hard for some people to understand hardcore Patwa, which is a mixture of several languages, including English spoken in Jamaica. But he says dancehall has set a trend. Big acts like Justin Bieber and Drake have been influenced by its sound. And later in his article, it's a, he says, dun, 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 I'm able to speak in a little tongue where somebody can understand me. I love this idea, sort of patois. A little tongue. A, a big tongue. And, you know, you, you, but it's sort of he, what he said. I don't know. It sounds like I make myself smaller to make it easier for you. You know, I can do it. But mm. I don't, you know, there's something in there where it's like, I don't really want to. Sometimes a lot of people still gravitate towards my music because it's amazing and say, I don't understand what you're saying, but they get the gist of it. People are speaking in hardcore patois. It's kind of hard for people to understand. So that's a big factor. But it's like Latin music right now. A lot of people here don't speak Spanish, but people get it. So, Lindsay, first of all, I have a question for you. Yeah. Do you get the vibe? That last bit, was that part of the article? Yes, yeah. Mm. I'm glad that was part of the article because this is what I don't understand about this story. Why is this news now? (laughs) At this point in history, this is not news. This is not, no. Like, like Like it said, right? Latin music, reggaeton, music in Spanish, in Portuguese, even in Catalan, Rosalia released a song just last weekend in Catalan, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a jam Need on the playlists for the summer, but like it's happening. K-pop, BTS are insanely huge. This is happening. People don't seem to care anymore about the language of the lyrics of the music they're listening to. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is something that is fading away. We've talked about it before. It's the post Despacito effect, as coined by me, trademark, registered, copyright, all of that jazz. Mm-hmm. And I'm so confused that why, as to why Sean Paul has suddenly come out and gone, well, this is why I'm not more famous. You're already really famous. You're mm-hmm. already doing all right. And I don't think that this is the reason. Like he said, dance hall has influenced modern music from other artists outside of jamaica justin bieber ed sheeran etc etc that's right that's right well and it, the article does mention justin bieber as well and right. ed sheeran and later on he, he says as well and i love this I lo- you're gonna love this dancehall music has set a trend over the years is still influencing the current popular sounds such as reggaeton pop and Afrobeats. so according to john paul which might be true i don't know um we wouldn't have reggaeton without dancehall but then you know we wouldn't have dancehall without you know, so whatever came before dancehall. It's, you know, it's an interesting story. Yeah, it could be true. I mean, but you wouldn't have dance if if you would if if that's true, and you wouldn't have reggaeton without dancehall, then you wouldn't have dancehall without the like the 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 African sounds of slaves. Mm-hmm. Let's let's take it back to where all of music in that part of the world came from, essentially. 
That's, like, yes. He, he does so, acknowledge as well, like what we do, he says, what we do comes from Africa. Okay. I, but what I found interesting about this, it made me wonder, because obviously, I mean, d d something I love, I love when I listen to Sean Paul music, which I do probably a bit too much. It just, it just makes me smile. It's just such cheery, cheery music. Uh, it, and, and I don't really, I can't really sing along because I don't feel particularly authentic being like with the Galdim. Right, booty, right. Booty. But you know, I don't also, I don't want to necessarily sing a lot of butt shaking songs in that way from a man's perspective. So here's, here's an interesting thing though. Is that the difference? Is that the difference between something like Korean or Spanish, if you don't speak Spanish, where it's completely mm -hmm. like you, 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 it's completely unfamiliar and you can just kind of get the sounds of the words and kind of get bits of it and go, Da 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 da, but yeah, you are, you are, and like you know, catch little nuggets of it. Compared to something like Jamaican patois, where, as you say, you maybe feel a bit uncomfortable because it feels like you're doing an impression, an imitation, because of the similarity, and 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 of that being a patois, being a Creole language. Mm, I think maybe I think there might it. be something there. Like I don't, as a German, very pale person. Yeah, who you know, right? I just come from Germany. It's like it's like when Germans try to rap in some kind of like American urban accent, and and you oh, know, like, I like German rap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, German rap in German. That's a different thing, though, isn't it? Mm, mm, um, mm. But you know, like you've got to. I don't know. You got to. Can you can you be true to where you come from? I don't know. And you know, that's that. It really is a difference because with something like Korean or French, they are. They're languages that don't have the local color. Like you said, it's like Patois is a local language. And in a way, that makes it easier to sing along and still be yourself. But if I'm like yeah. Sean Pauling it and doing a bit of bang, bang, bang or whatever, it's, I can't, you know, one of the reasons I like doing it is because it makes me laugh because I know it, it, it's ridiculous. It sounds ridiculous. I think it's partly it's that, also... Wait, wait, you mean, you mean it sounds ridiculous you doing it, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it yeah, doesn't yeah. sound ridiculous okay, in itself. No, no. <laughs> no, I, I, I honestly, I mean, but, you know, I have to also like stare at this and even there's like, there's, there's lyrics like best thing Fiddy recreation is to get the best girl in all the nation. So just in case you were wondering what the best thing is for the recreation, it's it's to get the best girl in all the nation. But you know, it's he does use patois, and I do yeah. really enjoy it, and I think it adds to the experience, and it adds to it adds to the music for me. I think so, and I'm, it, it adds I'm to the local feel. But I can't sing it because I'm not. I'm so un-Jamaican, unfortunately. As we've been talking about this, it's reminded me of something that's really, really interesting that we should put in the show notes. Yeah, um, yeah. There was a, I think she was, I think she was an American um, college professor conducting this study, but with Korean heritage, I think. I could be wrong. Um, and she put together a K-pop band that weren't Korean to see mm -hmm. is that part of the element is that part of the the the, the mystique and the selling power of k-pop that these people these idols are korean and it's it's really interesting there is um there's a little video documentary on youtube we should mm -hmm. link to in the show notes about that when you say we should link to in the show notes please send me the link because <laughs> i don't even know what to google <laughs> i will i will american k-pop professor yeah that might I will. work we will do the googling for you listeners don't worry <laughs> So and and did it work or didn't it? 
Um, they did have, they have had some moderate success. And I think even, you know, there was interestingly, um, a bit of backlash of cultural appropriation, which I think, you know, this day and age is to be expected. Um, mm-hmm. but I think they have had some moderate success. And I think after the study was over, they have continued or they did continue at least for a while to, to be abandoned, to do the thing. Mm. Uh, something before before we finish with this this important news section about Sean Paul, <laughs> Kirsten's Sean Paul fan section, fan corner. I should start another podcast where I just talk about Sean Paul. And yeah. <laughs> so, um, I this made me wonder who's who's the most famous Jamaican artist you can think of? Bob Marley. Bob I was Marley. about to say Shaggy, but Bob Marley <laughs> probably. Well, actually, on the on the note of authenticity, I then remembered that Snow also sings in Patois, you know, in Forma, that's in Patois, or I think it's Patois. Oh, okay. It's definitely in in not straight up English. And he's called Snow because he's white and stuff. So, But again, it's like, you know, you, huh. I, I feel like you have to have some cred to really pull that off. So um, I wondered, did Bob Marley sing in Patois or did he not? Because Bob Marley obviously you know, <sighs> really took over the world. And I was kind of trying to sort of think and songs that I so kind of had a had a Google around a few song lyrics, mm. um, things like Buffalo Soldier. That's not in Patois. But then um, I looked on Wikipedia for No Woman No Cry, and it says mm. the title and main refrain, refrain No Woman No Cry, is rendered No Woman No Cry in Jamaican Patois. I hope this. It says it's pronounced with a schwa vowel. No, it's no it's quite. a bit like trying to decipher is something Scottish English or is it in Scots? Ah, but here here is the thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That, actually, a very good comparison in a way. Yeah, because Scots in a way is kind of a Creole. Well, no, no, it's not. It's no. it's it's more like a. All of, I don't it's know. A language. Let's not cut this out. This is difficult stuff. So anyway, okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult. I'm dumb. Here we go. So um, the the next bit was the interesting bit, which is okay. So we've got no woman, no cry, um, being an expression that, that came f- from the patois, and then it says because I always thought, and most Germans do, Germans sing this song when they're drunk because you know Germans. I always thought no woman, no cry was meant to mean. Don't get yourself a woman because women make you cry. Yeah, if you have no woman, you're not going to cry. cry. Yes, and here it says it is the equivalent to the contraction "don't." The song is about comforting his woman not to cry when he's gone. Oh, and it makes much more sense. Don't cry like that. Yes, no woman. Don't cry. Okay, no woman, no cry. And it's, it's, that's what it is. And then that makes much more sense because the song obviously goes, everything's going to be all right. And yeah, so here we go. It, it's in English, but it's, but we all misunderstand the song. That was my, that was my, my, yeah, Bob Marley, Bob Marley, smuggling in the Patois. There we go. Welcome to the Patois. Well, this was it from the Patois section. And we're now <laughs> going to talk about our main topic for the episode. So our topic for this episode is to talk about indigenous languages. What are they? Why do they matter? Why is everybody talking about this right now? And we are, of course, in 2019 in the United Nations Year of Indigenous Languages. 
So I've got a few facts, Lindsay. I'm gonna I'm bringing some facts on my fact paper. Okay. Sound effect fact paper. There are around seven thousand one hundred and eleven languages spoken in the world today, according to FNL. I love how you you preface that with the word around or about, and it's, then give a really a, exact number. <laughs> That's what my notes say. It's Fair very enough. very true. So Ethnologue says that. So, you know, around about 7,000 plus languages, about a fifth of those are endangered languages. And over 4,000 of these are indigenous languages. Now, what is an indigenous language? Language. It is one that is spoken by the indigenous people of a region. Now, Lindsay, how would you define indigenous? The people who were there first. Mm. Yeah, in, in a very simple way, I would say. Okay, so the non-invaders. Yeah. Does that to mean Britain doesn't have an indigenous language? Oh, I guess Welsh is probably as close as Welsh it gets. Welsh is an indigenous language. If you if you get quite historic bored with the term, I would I would say yeah. Um, ah. I think you could possibly say the same for Scottish Gaelic and for Irish, and technically you could say that. English is the indigenous language of England, I guess. But that's not really what indigenous language comes to mean, I don't mm, think, mm. In, in the kind of wider context of the world. True. Uh, so the UN United Nations have declared in 2019 the year of indigenous languages in an effort to bring attention to and preserve these languages. So there's a lot that needs to be done. Now, Lindsay, here, I've got a few quiz questions for you. I'm here for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All yeah. right. You ready? Yes. Okay. So listeners, play along. See if you can beat Lindsay. <laughs> Question one. More than half of the world's population uses mm. a specific number of languages. So earlier we said there are 7,111 languages spoken in the world. How many languages do you think are used by more than half of the world's population? Okay. Is it going to be something depressing like five? I, it's smaller than 7,111. Yeah. Bigger than five? It's bigger than five. It's bigger than five. So half, more than half of the world's mm. population actually uses a lot, a lot less than that number the, the 7,000 50 it's even less it's 23 oh wow yeah yeah more than half of the world's population speak 23 languages between them and then what the other half the other less than half the 48 percent you might say speak 6,000 no 7,000 an incredible amount of languages, like nearly 7,100 still need to be spoken. So this is not evenly mm. split. In other words, there are 23 mm. languages that basically dominate half of the world. That's Mad. pretty, yeah. Mm. And that explains kind of the next, or it kind of leads us into the next aspect of this. What percentage of the world's languages might be extinct or endangered by the end of the century? Okay, so if we go David Crystal yeah. idea, which is every two weeks a language dies. Oh, it's, oh, by the end of the century, probably I'm going to just guess. I can't do quick maths. Like 50%? According to this, it's 95. Really? Yeah. 
Wow. Can you imagine the world losing by the end of this century? We're in 2019. So we've got 80 something years. Yeah. And then 95 of languages just going to be extinct or endangered. Extinct wow. or endangered. It's mad. It's mad. Quiz question number three of the depressing quiz. What is the most spoken native North American language? North American. Sorry, US. North. US. Yes, US. US American language. Okay, I should be able to figure this out. Um, oh no, there's a few options, actually. Mm, what options do you have in mind? Mm, Cree, mm-hmm. Cherokee. I think oh, Cherokee, let's go for that. I'm afraid it's Navajo. Ah, of course. Okay. Yeah, Navajo. And number three, which is, I think you know this. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to do it in a way that you perhaps might not know. All right. Because I know that you know that Papua New Guinea is the most linguistically diverse country yes. in the world. Yes. <laughs> Followed by which yeah. other two countries? Followed by Indonesia. And? So Papua New Guinea is like 800 and something. Indonesia is like 700 and something. And then, ooh, then I'm not so sure. I want to say, is it Nigeria? Yeah, you're right. Is it? Yes. Is it either 500 and something or 200 and something? Unbelievable, isn't it? Yes, yes. I don't have numbers here, so I just have Nigeria, but I know that Nigeria is the third most linguistically diverse country in in the whole world yeah oh polyglots get yourselves there it's not gonna be you know not gonna be something special you talk to people and say how many languages do you speak and they're like oh only 25 <laughs> just imagine <laughs> it <laughs> so papua new guinea and most of the languages spoken in these countries are indigenous languages yeah that is something we should clarify as well is that with endangered languages not like there is some crossover isn't there but that's not necessarily a direct correlation of endangered equals indigenous indigenous equals endangered not always the case very very true and can you go into a bit more detail there what yeah sure um so the example that i'm drawing from the most obvious one i'm drawing from would be guarani where yeah there's been some you know hard times in the past but it's now in paraguay um spoken on almost a kind of equal bilingual footing in terms of Spanish and Guarani. So if you're in the cities, yes, it's Spanish. You probably won't encounter much Guarani. If you go into the countryside, you'll encounter more Guarani and less Spanish. But in general, most people in the country speak both languages to some to some degree. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's not endangered, but it's it is for sure indigenous. For sure indigenous. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because we, it is an, an an easy jump to make when you hear of Guarani to right. automatically think it's endangered, even though it's spoken by a yeah. way large enough amount of people. Whereas endangered is mostly about the number of speakers, right? Yeah, and to think, for example, oh, I've never heard of it, therefore it must be not very big or popular or spoken by many people, therefore it must be endangered. But yeah, not always the case. And sometimes it could be that an endangered language could be maybe a Creole. We've mentioned already in the news segment about Creoles or maybe like a pidgin language. Um, well, technically, I guess a Creole is a language that's from a pigeon. So, you know, a Creole language variety um, could also be endangered and that wouldn't necessarily be indigenous. So it gets a bit messy, um, but yeah, just something worth considering. 
Definitely. And you've obviously had a lot of contact with indigenous languages recently. So we, we've previously done here on the podcast, we've done an episode about the indigenous languages and all of the languages of Great Britain, which are actually 12 when you start to count them. So I'm going to put that in the show notes for you. And obviously I learn, I happen to be learning and what we're going to call indigenous language of Britain. But Lindsay, you're a bit more world traveled and world aware and you've met a lot of speakers of indigenous languages. Yeah, yeah. Um, so with language stories, um, which you can you can find on on wherever you get in this podcast, you can search language stories. Um, in terms of indigenous, I would say we spoke with speakers of Yucatec Maya, which is spoken in the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico. Um, we spoke with speakers of um, what came next, Quiche, which is another Mayan language spoken in Guatemala. And again, spoken by over a million people, Quiche is. So I think it is, it's, it, it, you, you possibly could describe it as endangered in the sense that it's maybe under threat, but not, well, no, then it wouldn't be endangered, but it's like vulnerable maybe. Um, you know, because Spanish is much more dominant, but it's got a million speakers, right? Um, and then we spoke with speakers of, ooh, what was the next indigenous language? Probably Guarani. Um, and then Hmong as well, mm -hmm. over in, when we moved on for season two. And a few more. Yeah. Yeah. There They're the ones that Christang spring to mind. As well. Christang is interesting because it's a Creole language. So technically wouldn't be classed as indigenous language i i don't think mm. it would be because although it's spoken by people in the area those people um are eurasian so they're not necessarily the people who were there first so in terms of going back to that definition of indigenous being the people that were there first eurasians that speak christang mm -hmm. have you have European blood, right? Mm -hmm. So there's more of a connection to somewhere else as well. It gets, see what I mean? It gets really tricky because I use, I thought initially, I thought, oh yeah, Christang, that's indigenous because it's these people who are a minority, who are in this city, um, in a, a country where they're not necessarily recognized in quite the same way, perhaps mm -hmm. as, as, you know, as a, a Malay, Malaysian. Um, and so I thought, oh, it's indigenous. But actually, maybe that would be the wrong label for something like Kristang. So, yeah, it, it can be really tricky sometimes to um, to define. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so we've got our our various definitions of the languages, which we already said is tricky to define. And one of the reasons it is it is tricky, but it's important for us to to become aware of the indigenous language and to become aware of what it means to to have an indigenous language and speak an indigenous language is is to do with a lot of the history of the world really you know we've got all this colonialism and stuff mm. and in some lang in you know it's it's about extinction and when you hear that every two weeks a language dies or that 95 of languages are going to be extinct by the end of the century you always get you always get a few Perhaps it's even in your own mind and, and no judging. It's, it's, there is genuinely the thought where you go, well, if we're all just going to get by on just 23 languages, isn't that great? Aren't we moving towards a universal language among the world? So I wanted to highlight why knowing indigenous languages, knowing about them, being aware of them, honoring them and celebrating them is so, so important. And here are a few of those reasons. Once again, with the, 
with the notes. <laughs> You're rustling the notes. You're rustling the notes. So here are a few points. Number one, choosing and speaking our languages that, that essentially we are born with is a human right. It's it, there are there are linguistic human rights. I've put a Wikipedia article in the show notes, which is a bumper edition of show notes. And it is really, really important that, that we are aware of this. It is a human right. And nationhood, such as I am American or I am what British or whatever you are, is not at all defined through language. You mustn't discriminate against people because of their language. And you can't think of, say, if you were in... Say if you were in the USA, you've got a Cree speaker who can't speak very good English. You cannot, that person is no less American than you. And it's the same in Australia. If somebody is speaking an Aboriginal language there, that they are in no way less part of your nation than you are. Nationhood is not defined through language. And there are many, many situations in the world where languages have been imposed on people after conquest or after colonization. And this is not always far away and it's not always long long time ago because i remember you know like do you know what i have at home in germany i've got Your... a french book from my oh. granddad that my granddad got in school because everybody after you know after germany was conquered in this con not conquered but you know what i mean like occupied in the second world war i guess uh -huh. conquered conquered we lost the war anyway history lesson there uh but you know after germany was occupied our our occupiers were were french so it was the the rule of the day was learn french and my mm. granddad had to learn french in school and at that point in the school system speaking german was you know obviously germany still had some sway and stuff but it wasn't really what they wanted to see from people yeah and languages don't don't respect borders you know what i mean yeah Yeah, just because there's a, a, a border that we've decided goes on a map at that particular longitude and latitude, that doesn't mean that a language is going to stop suddenly mm. at that border because people still need to move around and people still need to connect and speak. And it, it's just, it's not that arbitrary. And also with your example of something like America, and I think what's really interesting is, and we've probably mentioned this on the podcast before, but America, and as far as I know, this is still true. America as a country doesn't actually have an official language. Yeah. And I think in part that might be because there are so many that, you know, if you, if you then include indigenous languages in that, it gets very, very difficult to say, Okay, so blah, 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 the list becomes very long. Yeah. <laughs> so if you were to then say, oh, the official language of America is, <laughs> there would be a lot. So, um, but yeah, I think that's always, always um, really interesting to just note that the, the USA doesn't have an official language. Yeah. And I mean, Britain, I looked at British official languages. Mm, uh, mm. British official languages are English, yeah. Welsh regionally, and French regionally. French regionally and so, British Sign Language, well, I believe, as well. According right? to Wikipedia, God of Wikipedia. And British Sign Language? It doesn't get listed, doesn't get oh, listed, but it's obviously, and an, an, I don't know, I thought, I thought it was just fascinating. Maybe it doesn't yeah. need protecting in the same way, but not like French needs protecting. Oh, French. Oh, of course. In Jersey and Guernsey, ah, Channel Islands. Is it, uh -huh. But then. But they're not part of Great Britain. They are Crown Dependencies. 
I know it's because I recently oh. took British citizenship took and I had to take the test. And it's, it's one of the, they ask you that question every single test quiz that they give you. Yeah. But I know it's only, for, it's only recently, I think, in, in the UK that other languages other than English are beginning to get the rights that they deserve. Yeah. Um, and Welsh is, is more prominent in that front. Even if I go into my local Asda in the middle of England, I can push a button that will, um, set the, the, uh, you know, the automatic supermarket scanning machine into Welsh. And I can have the machine talk to me in Welsh. Yeah, I'll put I'll put the um, the Welsh story podcast in the show notes as well if you want to hear more about Welsh in particular. But I guess we'll let's zoom out a little bit more globally, and I'll come back to the point about the official languages because I have mm. it's in my thoughts section of sort of I don't know okay. deep or medium deep um, Kirsten's TED talk kind of <laughs> thoughts. So we've talked about conquest. We've talked, and, and something really important to point out: colonization. Colonization mm. is 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 it's like conquest, but then they also take over like everything. So it's a you know it's it's even more. It goes it goes deeper. Colonization is yeah. when you completely become part of somebody else's country, and in a way, your identity is rubbed out and so is your language now indigenous languages are very often minority languages and here's what happens routinely to minorities they tend to be denied education denied money and access to opportunities and resources so if you are sp a speaker of an indigenous language in many parts of the world it's it's likely that your opportunity in life are already curtailed just because of your language They are routinely exploited and oppressed, so they cannot speak out about what matters to them, partly because the legal system doesn't support them in the same way it supports the main language speaker. And they're very, very often put down and discriminated against. And again, my experience, my knowledge of this is very British centric. But right. if it happens in a super, you know, in a rich country with a part of that rich country with the, the Welsh speakers where people people say all sorts of stuff like oh it just looks like a cat walked across the keyboard etc there's just there's just so much ridiculing that happens when somebody is a speaker of indigenous language and think back of all like the, think of the terrible things that can be said to you know a, a local speaker think of Donald Trump's Pocahontas remark how easily we dismiss that type of heritage how easily we dismiss um, cultural riches there it is very very quickly done this is why this is important your language is your voice it's your history it's your culture and it's a big big source of self-confidence and self-belief in this world and arguably and i'm thinking back to the wikitongs interview you did for the podcast um mm. Lindsay, um language loss can even kill because when you are so lonely and you lose that connection to your identity of of who you are and you we've seen this throughout history with oppressed indigenous people you you lose yourself and you become self your behavior automatically becomes more self-destructive and um ultimately people can become suicidal Because when a language is lost, it's never just the language. It's 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 your right. It's your opportunities. It's your confidence as a as a human who belongs somewhere. Mm. And on that note as well, the Wiki Tongues interview that we did for Language Stories, one of the things that really stood out and and I've, and has stuck with me is um, in terms of minority languages, how Daniel reframed that and said actually they're often minoritized languages mm. and minoritized people that have been made to 
fit into a wider scope of something, you know, a wider scope of a country, let's say, for example, Spain and Catalan, um, you know, that doesn't suit the bigger agenda, like you were saying, but it's, it's minoritized. It's often put on people in that minority. Yeah. Yeah. You're very right. And it really is. It's like you're being, it's like you're being, being rubbed out or, or just, you know, the way you speak naturally, the way that you've, you've, you've had, you've grown up with people speaking around you. Suddenly you, you just start to think it's not right. And I mean, this, I think back to, you know, a, a conversation I recently had with my dad where I said to him, why did you, when I started going to school when I was six or seven years old, started going to primary school and then went to, you know, the big school, the the, the grammar school, um, my parents didn't speak, most of Frankish didn't speak dialect to me anymore. Mm. Um, and I recently asked them why they did. And they said, well, your teachers said, don't, you know, like, <laughs> like actually... <laughs> And I just thought, oh my God, you had a conversation with my teachers about what, essentially what language to speak with me? It's, but yeah, no, it was said, it's like, like basically don't, you know, the education system is not in this language. This is, and then it, it is sort of, you know, I mean, how far away is that from telling people they're, they're stupid? Yeah. Or that they matter less. Mm, mm. I mean, you know, we're, we're, again, we are confident people in, in a rich country, so we don't have we have nowhere near the the problems that some indigenous peoples have had um and luckily or or maybe not luckily luckily lucky for us unlucky for everybody else we need to be aware of it that um very 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 often racism comes into this equation too and if your indigenous people have got a darker skin color than you tr traditionally they're going to suffer from that as well so they don't mm. speak like the minority at uh, a majority and they they don't look like the majority and it just makes life a lot lot harder mm, mm. now to to cheer us up a little bit i have got um i've written down what the universal declaration of human rights says about languages okay yeah so let's get utopian <laughs> yes so here's here's what here's what we we want for indigenous languages to have and here are the, the rights that human rights really should be guaranteed to every single person in this world. Number one, freedom from discrimination. As we just mentioned, it's, oh. it, it's tough, right? It's a bit, it, but just because it's ambitious doesn't mean we shouldn't try every single day. Oh, yeah. Number two, the right to a fair trial, which does mean getting an interpreter if needed. Yeah. So you don't need the whole court system to, to be in, in the majority language, but you do need to give people the right of a fair trial. So you, you need to give somebody access to a fair trial in their own language, no matter where they are in the world, uh, mm. no matter what the official language of your country either, necessarily. Uh, mm. Number three, freedom of expression. No matter which language you choose, no matter which language you express yourself in. So you can't tell people not to write, speak, dream, write poetry in, in these, a language these, that isn't official. Explicitly, these are explicitly the linguistic... Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There is there are other things in the Declaration of Human Rights. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just kind of looked through it and and I wrote down the the the, edu the language related ones. And then mm. number 4 is the right to education in your chosen medium of instruction. Oh. Yeah. Wow, that's difficult. It is difficult to 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 realize. It is. I guess. Yeah. And out of all of them that's the most difficult. I feel freedom of expression 
you know, obviously there's a lot of environment things, but you, you can do that yourself because you're expressing yourself yourself, right? Mm-hmm. In most and places. Y- yeah, yeah. Obviously, yeah. Obviously, yeah. This isn't just like freedom of expression. Everyone can do what they want whenever they want. And express- obviously that's not the case, but it comes from within is what I'm saying. Right. And mm-hmm. then what were the others? Freedom of? A fair trial. The right to a, a fair, fair trial. trial. Mm-hmm. I, see, that's tricky as well because that comes from outside. And what was the first one? Freedom of? Freedom from discrimination. Freedom from discrimination. So yeah. Which see, is the basically ones. impossible because there's always going to be yeah. some. But it's about how the systems are set up, right? So if all your bosses right. are white people who are unaware of, of your, your skills and talents or who think you're stupid just because you you know, might have a different skin color or speak a different language, then, you know, if the power balance is tipped towards those kind of people, yeah, you you can never, you know, you can never not be discriminated against or you're forever running that risk. Yeah. Oh, there you go. It's, this is the, you know, this is the, um, mm. the rights issue of the Fluent Show. It's, it's, just, it's a deep one. From Sean Paul all the way to the Declaration of Human Rights. How and, did we get here? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like that podcast, The High Low, is that we we go high and we you know we we do the pop culture, <laughs> we do the highbrow stuff, and we do the we do the everyday. So yes, the, the right to education in your chosen medium of instruction. I guess you, you have to have somebody to to teach you, and it is education. And I guess you could you know you could make a lot of arguments backwards and forwards about whether that means exams and recognition of your education, etc. But at least you should be able to learn how to read and write in in your in your language, right? Not necessarily, because I I think it's about half of the world's languages. So that seven thousand and something figure that we said earlier, about half of the world's languages actually don't have a a, a, a writing system or oh, a, a good point. A well made. Form. Yeah, yeah. Mm, interesting. Yes, and, and typically we learn to speak and listen because that obviously comes as part of speaking obviously before we learn to read and write so people could be so then it becomes difficult to then define well what's fluency if your language doesn't have a written form you Mm. know and i met um i'm thinking back in particular for some reason with what you've been saying it's got me thinking back to um chua who is someone we interviewed for the language stories episode discovering mong um in vietnam and she was wonderful like I, I, I just felt like we'd be friends if we lived closer. She was cool. Um, but she didn't, she couldn't read and write. Um, she spoke Hmong. She spoke a uh, black Hmong, I think was the, the dialect or the specific language. Um, Vietnamese and English and bits of French as well. And she learned all of that by ear from tourists and to the point that she like it wasn't even she could just read bits because she would get facebook messages with inquiries to want to stay with her and she would show me them and say oh what does this say can you read it out to me and i'd read it out and she'd tell me what to write to reply and i'd write the reply and send the reply so but she was fluent right and she was indigenous and she was smart and she was self-employed working for herself doing this like it's just it's just amazing when you you know so yeah it's sometimes it's i don't know sometimes the world wants to think that that some of you know indirectly i don't think anybody wants to think that i think sometimes the world makes it look as if that's the privilege of white people to be smart and it's just ridiculous or english speaking people or majority language speaking people and it is just ridiculous yeah so Lindsay, i have some thoughts okay 
some of these might be a little bit a uh, student bedroom sixth form, but I want to I want to just put it put it out there. So thoughts that occurred to me, um, number one, and I just wonder, you know, what what this brings up in you. Number one, how annoying and even insulting when you when you've really thought about this, and we've thought about how important it is to honor and to acknowledge an indigenous language. How annoying and insulting is it actually to assume that a language is dead? You know how, how often we hear that yeah. a language is dead. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Like I I just feel that that I wanted to point this out because it's certainly something I've I've come across um with with not just the one Celtic language, with several Celtic languages, that people assume a language is dead. And in a way what that what that kind of implies is, you know, the language has gone extinct. We don't need to worry about it anymore. Mm. We we have absolved ourselves of of the the concern of of even learning a single thing about this language. We it, it, it's just not relevant anymore. That's really what that's saying. So I think when we think about dead languages, I mean Latin as an exception. I'm going to give you Latin. When we think about dead languages and we and we can't be 100 percent sure and we don't we don't know a lot about them. I think it's it's actually our burden to to learn more about the language before we just shrug and go, well, nobody speaks that anymore. Because I don't know. When I first moved to the UK, I didn't even know people spoke Welsh, and yeah. and I still hear from people that it's dead. And I'm like, mm. no, it ain't. It really mm. isn't. It's crazy. And when it happens to a language as big and reviving as that, then I can't imagine what happens to Cree or Navajo or, or you know, Mi'kmaq, that language, Mi'kmaq, I, I cannot pronounce it correctly, but there's a really lovely um, version of Blackbird by Paul McCartney or by the Beatles, which has been sung in, in this indigenous language, which pretty much means that language is not dead. Hmm. So that was thought number one, like, don't declare a language dead as easily as as you as you have done um that's a lesson i'm taking away and number two i want to come back to the official language debate and this is something that also sometimes gets touched on in the talk the talk podcast so shout out to talk the talk an official language when we really think about it is it a means of unity or is it a means of oppression Oh, very good question. I think it can be both depending on the country and the situation and the official language or languages that have been chosen. Mm. So if you, again, to go back to Paraguay and, and, and the official languages there, Spanish and Guarani. So that has done wonderful things for Guarani in terms of raising its status, raising its importance in the country, its significance. I said that you can't really see it in the cities, but when you drive past the government buildings on the bus, everything's bilingual, right? When you arrive at the airport, everything's bilingual. And, oh, sorry, trilingual even at the airport because it's English as well. So there, I think, you know, having official status alongside Spanish has given it that status in, in more, and, and I'm not saying it's perfect utopia 50-50 because it's definitely not, but there is much more of a, a feeling of this is ours and a feeling of pride around Guarani. And it's incredible because actually the language is indigenous, but around 10% of the population is indigenous. So the rest of the nation have taken this indigenous language and made it their own on an, on a national scale. And that is quite incredible. Um, but I don't think that that's necessarily the sort of commonplace example <laughs> on this front. 
Um, can you think of any more examples in the opposite direction? In Australia, there's certainly that debate at the moment. I think in New Zealand as well. I think in New Zealand, Maori is recognized as an official language. Mm. But in, 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 in certain countries, like if you want to think about Papua New Guinea, like where do you even start? Or Indonesia, like right. in some, in some countries, it's almost like you look at the country and they look at themselves and they kind of go, well, it's not going to happen. But I'm thinking about China, for example. Ooh. Yeah, where where that might be that might come into play and I'm thinking about I'm really thinking about Australia and the USA. USA not having an official language when actually maybe do you, that could almost you could argue the other way and say oh that's not really that elegant it could be a cop out it could be just saying well I think there are I think we should probably clarify that I think there are state official languages. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think then the problem is that maybe not all states recognize all the indigenous languages and all the languages used in that state, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's difficult. It's but just because it's difficult, we can't Doesn't shrug mean, it off. Like, right, like right. colonizing the country was difficult too, <laughs> you know. So, and that was we, we, they managed that just fine. So I think we it's it's one of those things where we have to live with the history that we have. And in Germany, actually, Frisian, one of the Frisian, like Plattdeutsch, basically, ha- mm. now has official status in the north of Germany. So it's a regional official language. And I feel that it's it's made me feel kind of unhappy about my own native dialect not being recognized in the same way. Right. Do you this know? Is the, this is the difficulty when it comes to mm-hmm. like officialdom and, and making it all like on paper because then where does that line end where do you draw the line you mentioned china the dial the the language dialect conversation will never end yeah in, in terms of chinese languages um and that can then be really really difficult because you have some again drawing from all my language stories experience here you've got something like hokkien right um, which is a language. Everyone I spoke to, obviously, they were all um, advocates for Hokkien, but they all said Hokkien is a language. And they all spoke Penang Hokkien. So Penang Hokkien is a dialect of Hokkien. Because mm. if, Hokkien, if Hokkien is a dialect, can you have a dialect of a dialect? Oh, my no, gosh. Inception of dialect. Right, right. All so, right. So, yeah, I think it's... Oh. It's tricky. Okay, at this point, we're just gonna we're gonna sound the language dialect klaxon, and I think that in the future we're gonna have to just sound the klaxon, abandon the discussion because it's never gonna come out. But yeah, it's another right. one of those. So I'm going to ask you my last question, and that's gonna lead potato. us into recommendation. Yeah, a hot potato. There we go. It's a hot potato. As you say. Very, very true. It's such a hot potato. Whew, ouch. So the last question, and Lindsay. To learn or not to learn the list languages? Cultural appropriation, respectful interest, avoid, engage, Ooh. discuss. Good question. So mm. I would say that, like, yes, if, if there are materials available to learn a language, any language, indigenous language, then I would say you are welcome to respectfully learn that language. But I think what's interesting is that you have to take into consideration something a little bit more than you do if you pick up a learn French in 90 days or learn Spanish in a week from your local bookshop, right? And I think that a few of those things, this, you know, by no means an extensive list of of things you might want to consider. Not everyone that is a native speaker or is in 
relate relation to that language and that culture in some way so heritage um you know through um you know bloodlines and etc not everyone in that position would have the same access to learn the language as you do that's something worth considering um not everyone i don't know what else it gets so messy 100% if there are resources available then you are welcome to learn a language but it is worth considering that people may feel that language is theirs and may be slightly closed to essentially outsiders learning that language i know when i gave a talk about this at langfest and that was one of the comments was that someone had learned a native american language and had had that experience where they then tried to use it with the community that spoke that language and had been very much rejected and shunned and that wasn't you know that's obviously not a nice experience mm. for anyone in that oh, yeah in you, that... you can't single-handedly wipe out right. history can you Right, right. Um, but it's also worth considering that some people who either speak that language or who have some kind of connection to it through heritage or something like that, they may not be able to learn it. They may not have access to the internet, to technologies that give you access to resources to learn that language. They may not have the personal literacy levels to learn that language themselves. Even, you know, there may, it may be that, you know, if we think of, um, Chua, if, if maybe her children learn English before they learn Hmong, I don't think that would happen, but it could be that they would have to study other languages first for work or for study. Mm. So, you know, but a, the, quest, a question yeah, there yeah. is, should you hold back from learning a language, just an indigenous language, because the indigenous person couldn't learn it? Like, no, is it, no, no, is it no, no, like no, no. they're entitled to learn it before you can go near it? Or what no, is, what is the message there? Not, not at all. What, what I'm saying is that it's just when you learn an indigenous language, there's more to consider both in that sense, just to recognize the fact. It doesn't mean that it should stop you or put you off. Like I say, if the resources are available, then they've been made available for a reason, you can assume, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just something to consider that, because the resources are available doesn't mean that it's automatically your like god-given right to just go out and learn it and use it and like yeah. you know kind of it's 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 well, kind I think of a just learning beast. it and then there is thinking that you can just march in and that these people it's it's that same thing isn't it? it's like right. thinking these people it's are not... yours to practice with they are not yeah, and it's yeah, not their yeah, obligation yeah. to help you that's yeah. the same even if you're learning french or something like that but it's so much more significant when the language is endangered and and there needs to be just be more respect and more delicacy around it and yeah and and um the and other... collecting trophies of languages is not a thing right this is it it's not it's not about just thinking oh yeah so i've learned the big languages my french my spanish my japanese yeah i've got all of those down so now maybe i should learn um an indigenous language oh that would be cool wouldn't that be a fun a fun thing to have on my badge at the next language conference it's not that it is not that mm. when you, like I've said so far, you know, all of these things you need to consider and, and not to put you off, but just to consider. And then also the idea of, um, oh, the, the, the idea of, I'm sorry, I'm really losing my train of thought, but I don't want to get this wrong. So hopefully, um, what was it? I, I wanted to say something else. I really wanted to say one more thing. Let me just find the slides. Oh yeah, that's it. And, and the other thing is the idea of culture. 
culture is always important when you learn a language you know you can't learn just words in isolation mm. from the culture that's connected to those words but with an indigenous language i think it's even more relevant and it, it it's just happens even more so that you learn more about a place and about a people and about history through learning an indigenous language yeah. so oh my god sense, yes it's been wonderful and i've i you know my own experience learning guarani I've loved it. It's not useful to me. I've, even when I went to Paraguay, I hardly used it because, like I say, I was in the city most of the time and people use Spanish. And I knew that was going to be the case. But through learning it, even now I've been back for like well over a year. I just, the connection that I have with that country and those memories is so much stronger because like Guarani, I feel it like in my heart. I feel that place like in my, you know, running through me, I thought, oh, Paraguay is like, yes. You know, whereas somewhere else, you know, we went to loads of countries and you can't expect them all to have that same impact. But I'm sure that with Paraguay, it's because I took the time to learn the indigenous language and not just Spanish. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's, yeah, I feel, I feel, I kind of feel a bit like that about Wales. Not, not that I'm like at home, but I have like a special love for Wales place. that I couldn't yeah. have developed without learning Welsh yeah so it's you know it can be a faraway country all the way across the world like for Lindsay or it can be just essentially where you already live but you just go deeper through yeah. discovering this indigenous language but yeah so two points there you have to be and, and I think on yeah go ahead sorry go on I was gonna say I think honestly if you're listening to this then you would be learning for the right, right reasons. You wouldn't be learning just to tick it off on a on a list, um, you know, add another badge. Um, and so I think, yeah, you you probably, if you're listening, are respectful and you are going to go about this in, in an appropriate manner. Definitely. Okay, so while our episode is running long, so I really, really would like to recommend uh, everybody in the show notes, we've got bumper show notes this time. So do go to fluent.show slash 145. That's where you're going to find the show notes for this episode with lots and lots of links to Sean Paul's suffering, but also Lindsay's talk at Langfest and our three, my three main resources or places where you can find out more about endangered languages and perhaps get a few, you know, get from, the, from perhaps there's a phrase book somewhere, perhaps there's a website where somebody is, is encouraging people to learn the language or at least sharing what it's about. So you don't have to like learn it to use it either. You can really just learn to know about it. So here are a few websites. And again, you can find all of those in the show notes, show notes that are bigger today. So Recommendations for tools and resources. I recommend three websites for you to go to. Number one, Wikitongues, who, if you're a long, long time Fluent Fam show, no, show listener, Fluent Show listener, you know, uh, Lindsay interviewed Wikitongues on the podcast. So you can, that interview is in the show notes too. But Wikitongues is an association dedicated to documenting languages, documenting languages all around the world. And by the way, you, if you were at Women in Language, helped keep Wikitongues going. We've donated over a thousand dollars this year thanks to you through Women in Language. So Wikitongues are a wonderful place place to go. Number two, Omniglot, which is the encyclopedia of languages on the web run by Simon, who you will hear in the Secret Languages of Great Britain episode that we did at the podcast. So that's Omniglot, where you can find out just about 
I don't know, thousands, thousands of languages. He really does a great job documenting, you know, what he knows, what he can find about languages. And in that vein as well, ethnologue, ethnologue being a really good source of data about languages. So if you want to start learning one of those languages, I would look first on Omniglot, where Simon links out to any resources that he is aware of. And it's, like I said, it's encyclopedic. There is so much. Uh, secondly, the FSI resources that you can find on livelingua.com. So they have the archive of the Foreign Services Institute and the Foreign Services Institute courses are available for free there. They're not always, you know, all singing, all dancing video courses. Sometimes they're just typewriter type PDFs, but there is access to many indigenous languages there because they're often related to foreign service work, military work. And then uh, Glossika has a few in its archive. So I wanted to give a shout out to Glossika as well. That's where I would look. Lindsay, is there anything that you would like to add? Yeah, I would say as well, start by looking in places you would typically look mm -hmm. that maybe you would think, oh, no, there's going to be nothing there. So, you know, Guarani, there is a Guarani course on Duolingo of all places in Spanish. So taught via Spanish. So you have to change your language to find it. Um, but Memorize and Closemaster and all of these places that you would usually look. Italki, even our sponsor for today, start in the normal places and see if, you know, you might find something that surprises you um, to uh, to set you off. Yeah, definitely. The language apps Drops as well. Drops has got a few fun languages going. I know they've got Creole, um, Haitian Creole, right? And yeah. there is also access to a Hawaiian course, as far as I'm aware of. So do look around, but don't expect to obviously find, you know, the, the Michelle Thomas of, I don't know, Haitian Creole, because the, you know, those, those companies look at, look at market demand. And there isn't always market demand for an endangered minority, minoritized or indigenous language, as we've discussed. Now, and of course, social media would be another good one. Check hashtags mm. for that language and see if there's any accounts that share things in, in that language on social media. Good one. Yes, absolutely. Right, I shall leave it there for this podcast because we don't want to run too long, but it was an information packed episode. Like I said, we went high. We're talking about the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. We went to right into pop culture talking about Sean Paul and I hope you enjoyed it listeners this is a big big topic and we cannot possibly claim to have educated you about every single aspect of indigenous languages I hope you have learned a new thing or two I hope you enjoyed the little quiz that we did but this is just a start and the year of indigenous languages is about raising awareness so go out there perhaps look at Look at what was spoken before English was spoken where you live, if you are an English speaker or if you're perhaps in, in Russia or something like that. See see what's around there. Maybe you already know about indigenous languages. I'd love to hear what's spoken where you live. I'd love to hear if you're learning indigenous languages. You can let us know on Twitter at The Fluent Show or on Instagram with the hashtag The Fluent Show. Or you can email hello at fluentlanguage.co.uk. So before I go, I want to remind you that at Langfest, which is now just a few weeks away, Langfest in Canada, in Montreal, where French and English are spoken, 
me and Maria Ortega Garcia are going to give a workshop and it is called Creative, Creative Writing, Public Speaking and Performance. Maria was recently my guest on this podcast in episode 141, talking about how to play with a language you love and sharing her philosophy of languages. And if you think that method sounded inspiring and it might work for you and you're coming to Langfest, then do please, please come to our talk. We're doing a joint two-hour session and we would love to see you there. And that is at Langfest. Link in the show notes where all the other links are. Lindsay, is there anything that you would like to share to end the episode? I have a little quote I'd like to share. I think just wraps up nicely. Oh, lovely. Yeah, please. Okay, so I used this quote in my presentation at Langfest on this topic. Um, it's by Abby Franckmont um, and it's on learning indigenous languages. You cannot learn Quechua without its context. You cannot learn Quechua without knowing how the high Andes smell at dawn. You cannot learn it without eating watia. Nobody cares if it's spelled wakate or huacate. They care if you know what it's for. You do not speak Quechua with true comfort and real fluency if the cold doesn't make you hiss alalao and the voices in your head are never repeating amasua, amayuya, amakela. If you've never bitten off a piece of rock-hard yiptin for the wad of leaves in your mouth so you could work harder, walk further and persevere longer, then there is no translation of Amakela that will ever convey it all. Mmm, lovely. And such a wonderful quote to end on. Yeah, I don't know if I'm pronouncing all the bits right, but I just, I love that quote. I think it's... That's right, most, it most really people nicely. aren't going to know. <laughs> so... Thank you, Lindsay, for bringing that quote. Thank you, Lindsay, for bringing all of your stories from Language Stories. And listeners, check out Language Stories if you want to learn more about the Lindsay's adventures in language really around the world. And again, just leaves us to say, I hope you enjoyed the episode. You know where to find us on social media and you know our email. Fluent.show is our web address. And I don't know, this podcast is produced by me and Lindsay and my husband. That's it from us this week. And it's goodbye from me, Huil, and goodbye from Lindsay. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Fluent Show. Don't forget that you can send us your comments and questions to be answered on the show to Kirsten, that's K-E-R-S-T-I-N, at fluentlanguage.co.uk. Or you can find us on Twitter at The Fluent Show. We're always so excited to hear from you. We read every message. Don't forget to review us. See you next week.